Well, it is about what we believe. Because everybody <laughs> has different beliefs. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, they do. I shove my beliefs down people's throats <laughs> until they believe what I believe. No, plastic up noses and then beliefs down throats, right? <laughs> is that how that works? <laughs> okay. Yes. Welcome to the Big Marketing Podcast. This is the podcast where we believe good marketing changes the way you think. Great marketing changes the way you feel. I'm Dan Hack. And I'm Merritt Trigg. Let's go. Hey, Mary, did you know we're hiring? What? <laughs> no way. This isn't like the eighth time we've tried to do this. Actually, anything. tenth. <laughs> this is the tenth. Yeah. We're going to nail it. I feel good about it. Okay. So we're very lucky in that we're growing and we're hiring for a few positions. And we've gotten a tremendous response from this because we're kind of clawing our way out of a recession. Uh, I see a lot of mistakes that people are making. Um, so we thought we'd do a podcast to to just sort of share some of those mistakes with you. Um, so these are the top, what is it, five? The real intent of this being to to help people uh, learn how to market themselves in this environment, especially yeah. in that creative way yeah. um, that's really going to you know make them stand out in a time when there's so many job applicants. Applicants, I can't even speak yeah. now either. Applicants out there. And Exactly. And if you are one of those people who are really, really qualified, but you're not getting hired, these might be some of the things you're doing wrong. Yeah. Right? Here we go. Number one, you're not reading the whole ad. Um, and the reason you need to read the whole ad is because you need to know how to apply. You need to know what to provide. Like, for example, we, in our ads, we post jobs on LinkedIn. And a lot of people do the one-click LinkedIn thing where it's like one-click apply, and it just sends your resume. There's no place for a cover letter. There's no place for a message, anything. It's just like, blah. Like You're, you're the first person I've heard say LinkedIn that says it exactly how it's written where it's one word linkedin linkedin it's not linkedin <laughs> linkedin <It's> linkedin linkedin <laughs> <laughs> i love it uh hold on i have to think about that for 10 minutes now <laughs> so, <laughs> and we're back so <laughs> no. so, so you're, you're discouraging use of the one click apply feature so because of the one click apply feature it, there's no sp place for you to put a cover letter although you can attach that but there's no place for a message or any sort of interaction with the person who's going to be looking at your resume um, so what we do is we put at the very bottom, we put instructions on how to apply. We give you an email address. We tell you what to send, examples. And a lot of people, it's amazing, out of 600 applicants, about 40 actually read the entire ad all the way to the bottom and send the things that we need to send. I think as a, as a counterpoint to that, and I, I agree with everything you're saying, but it, it's just a really tough world to get hired in right now and i'm not saying that it's impossible like people are getting hired but um you have to wonder if people at some point were kind of putting in all that effort right doing the cover letter going the extra mile with mm -hmm. even reaching out to people before applying and then they didn't see the result and now they're just resorting to like hey if nobody's looking at this anyways because we have the luxury of uh, being the size of company we are and how invested we are in our own culture mm -hmm. of taking the time to look at people's resume and give them the full breadth of kind of our review process at least, right? Like, hey, we really like this. We're going to take the time to actually look at it. Whereas like some of these larger entities, especially if you're a creative looking at working at an agency, aren't going to do that. So, right? th yeah, that's fine. I mean, you don't have to do that. You don't have to send a personalized message or follow directions, but you have to understand that other people are doing it. Yep. Right? 
and you might get looked over and you're lowering your chances. And if you're willing to lower your chances of being noticed, then totally fine. The other thing is a lot of people apply for the wrong job. When we posted a job for a producer, a producer and an agency is a different job description than a producer on set or a producer for a production company. Mm-hmm. So you might be applying for the wrong job. Anyway. How do you how do you overcome that? That's just research on the back end. It's reading the, the ad. Yeah. It's reading the ad. It, it's amazing to me how many people don't read the ad. Even when we say, hey, we like you. We really like your samples. They're like, oh, what job, what job is this again? What do you, who's <laughs> the company? Like they don't even, right? That's and me. I, get it. I thought I was coming on as a cinematographer and now... Yeah. BD. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> there you go, right? <laughs> Janitor. Um, number two, you're not matching the tone of the company culture in your in your correspondence. Um, obviously, we're going to be different. We're a creative entity. We're very casual. We're going to be different than, say, uh, like, like Mason or Wells Fargo or mm-hmm. those guys. Um, if, based on our ad, we're being goofy, we're being silly, we're being quirky, if you start your cover letter with, Dear Hiring Manager, right?, Right away, that says to me that you're not matching the tone, or worse, that it's a, that it's a form letter. I, I think you need to be positive too. Like we're very positive in our letter, and we get a lot of emails where people try to play hard to get, and it doesn't match our culture. Like if you say, if you say, uh, yeah, I wasn't gonna apply to your job, but then I thought, oh, what the heck? You know, I'm at the place where that just makes you like seem like you're uninterested. Too, too cool for school mantra that's what it feels like yeah exactly it just makes me think that you don't even want the job really Mm -hmm. all right number three you're blending in so this last job for the editor for example we got almost 550 applicants which that's a lot of applicants and just from the perspective of somebody going through those it's exhausting Mm -hmm. um I'll I'll stay up till 1 a.m. going through those until I (laughs) fall asleep at my laptop but you have to understand that at a certain point, my brain starts looking for shortcuts, right? It starts looking for patterns, and it starts looking for easy way, easy ways out. And the things I look for are not easy ways out, but it starts looking for, for ways to make the process easier. And the way I do that is I, I say like, uh, no, I don't like these headlines. I'm going to go to this headline because it stands out. I encourage you to write a bold headline to be remembered. It's better to be remembered in your headline than to seem professional or you know any of that stuff. So um, also, oh, here's another thing. In your cover letter, to stand out in your cover letter, um, talk about like how I can help you, right? This is how I can help you. Um, hey, you guys are good, but here's what I can do to make you better, right? right. Um, make it personable, make it sound good, be funny in the letter. Bad things for your cover letter, um, things like fluffy intangibles. For example, I'm passionate about filmmaking, right? That's what every single other person writes in the thing, and it's something that I can't measure, right? Um, I'm a team player. You know who else is a team player? Literally everybody. Um, good things to write in there are, here's something I did at my last job that that might resonate with you guys, right? Here's something that I made that I think you'll like, right? Based on your job ad, this is what you said. I just wanted to point out that blah, 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 blah. It means that, hey, number one, I read your ad. Number two, I paid attention. Number three, I actually give a crap about your job, what you posted, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Number four, this is a big one. You're hard to hire. Believe it or not, you can be hard to hire. Um, One thing we get a lot is people say, hey, here's my demo and here's a password. 
if you send me five links and I have to write a password to view every single one of those things, it's exhausting. I'm not going to do it. If your resume number 375, I'm just like, I'm exhausted. I don't want to put a password in. Not having clickable links to samples in your thing. Um, like if I have to sift through your resume to find your website and to go to your website and try to pull out the samples that I think apply to the job we're looking for, I'm just not going to do it yeah. because it's too exhausting. There are too many other people who've made it easy for me, right? Um, irrelevant information on a resume that it just clutters your resume. I see so many people putting strengths, like nobody needs to know your strengths, right? It's, it's fluffy. Again, the team player thing, um, too much education information. Like I think education information is great for, you know, again, like Mason or Wells Fargo or that kind of thing, but I don't need to know where you went to high school. Right. <laughs> like, and especially if you graduated 20 years ago, I don't, you know, great, put it in there, but don't focus on it. You know, I don't need to know your GPA and all that kind of stuff. Right. I, your work, your work that you've done speaks louder than your education. I don't even know where most of these guys who work here went to college. Nice. I don't know where you went to college. I didn't. Uh, no, I did. Yeah. See, <laughs> so, um, Okay, so things to put in your resume are tangible accomplishments, right? Focus on those, really double down on those. Like for example, I saved the company money. Um, I overhauled their drive system. Um, I grew the team from three people to 15 people and I did it all by myself. Those are the kinds of things that I wanna know. Those are the things that, that make me perp perk up, right? All right, number five, this is the last one. You're not following up. Um, mm -hmm. here's the thing. We, we run our this ads. This one hits home for me too. Yeah. Cause it's so pertinent in the sales world. Yeah. Well. And actually I put in here, I think you should talk about this because yeah. for us, I can tell you that when I'm looking through 550 resumes, I don't remember the first 400 by the time I get to 550. Right. And especially if I'm, I see them trickle in and I get excited and I look at them and the first ones, I don't remember them throughout mm -hmm. and when you follow up with me i'm like oh wait who is that girl or that guy or whatever and then i go back and i look and then you automatically get moved to the top list so tell me about your experience with following up yeah i mean it, it's probably the most important part of the sales cycle so i imagine it translates into sort of this recruitment experience as well and, and really what it does is put you as long as you do it correctly you can't come off as a pest or yeah or overly annoying and if you do you have to call yourself out for it in a funny way right use yeah. humor to bridge the gap but really it puts you back top of mind in so terms of focus. Yeah, let's go back to that because you're really good at at the, the writing. What, what's a good way to follow up? How would you follow up? For a job placement, yeah. for like an application that I put in with yeah. you. Like you talk about being funny and sort of calling yourself out. I like those things. Yeah, I like I the humor. If, if, I had the, if I knew the culture of the company and it w aligned with how I felt, so it would be something funny because, you know, again, it, you have to – decide on your approach uh, or align your approach based on that culture, right? So it yeah. might be a little bit drier in some instances. It might be way goofier in other instances, but knowing the culture here the way I do and even kind of having a peripheral view of it before I applied, I would say that I would use some type of meme to yeah. circle back with you, right? Like I can't say off the top of my head exactly what it would be, but it would be a really funny subject line a meme, probably the two completely unrelated, just like to that. get your attention. Yeah. And then just my name at the bottom. I love it. Right. Yeah. And it would call your attention back to back to me, right? It's an yep. attention grab. It's a, it's totally like a a top of funnel thing. If yeah. we if we look at it through an advertising lens, right? It's like, I love I'm that. gonna grab yeah. you and bring you back. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's great. 
here's the thing though whether you're applying to wall street or whether you're applying for a job at a you know creative shop um somewhere else there are a lot of do's and don'ts to this whole thing mm -hmm. but the bottom line is you have to be human yeah. People want to hire humans, right? When you say dear hiring manager and you just blend right in, you just seem like a like a foot soldier, like a robot. Well, this is also why a lot of people, you know, to, to kind of even subvert that application process in and of itself yeah. develop, especially in that finance world. It's very relationship based, right? So yeah. you spend the time instead of applying to jobs, developing relationships with people at those places where you really want to work. Yeah. And then you use those channels to help yourself have a better shot of, um, you know, entering that role in the way that you want to enter that role. So, for example, if someone here really wanted to work at Hackstone, um, taking the time to, you know, not even apply to the job, but just reach out to you with an email saying like, oh, I love what you guys are doing, not asking anything of you. Right. Just sort of establishing, hey, this, this was a cool note I got from someone, right? Yeah. Maybe you grab a coffee if it's not during COVID, right? Yeah. Same thing with the rest of the team. And then if they do apply for a future role, you're so much more likely to remember them and have, you know, sort of a, a soft spot for them, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's something that uh, Adam mentions in, in later in the podcast. We're lucky enough, by the way, for all you listeners. Yeah, who's Adam? Yeah, we have Adam Bleibtrow. He's the CMO of, of Creative Circle, which is a... Uh, creative recruiting and staffing agency and placement agency um, out in California. Nice. So we're really excited to talk to him. Let's get it. I, I want to start off with the, the most important question um, of the day that, that came about while we were discussing, you know, what we wanted to ask you today. And that is, how do you pronounce your last name? <laughs> if you spelled it B L Y B T R O Y, Blibe Troy. Uh huh. Blibe Troy. Okay. Now I can you do that thing when we do the uh, the show notes. I can have the little dashes in between, like the the phonics of your name, <laughs> so no one will mess it up anymore. So before we got into that, you mentioned something um, that kind of caught my ear. You said. We match really good creative people with really good clients. What typifies, in, in your opinion, in your experience as uh, a CMO and just throughout your creative uh, years and capacity, uh, a really good creative person? How do you – it doesn't necessarily ha have to be how do you quantify that, but that's essentially what I'm asking. <laughs> no, you're, you're asking a great question. So it's not a short answer, but I'll – try to i do that to... i ask really long questions so that i don't i get to ask like three and then i get to shut up the rest of the time by the way you don't have to just say that Merritt asks a lot of dumb questions you know how they say like <laughs> there's no such thing as a dumb question so Merritt has proved that there is actually my entire life i've been proving that there is such thing as a dumb question do you know that they also say there's no such thing as a dumb mustache well dan disproved that today too so there we go and, uh i I had one for 25 years. There's nothing like a good stash, though. So I'm, <laughs> I'm on. This is new. My my kids are not fans of this, nor is my wife. So, which is even more reason to to keep it to do it. <laughs> All right. Sorry. We'll we'll actually let you help people and answer a question instead of us being jackasses. Yeah. What's a good creative? So, it, it's really a couple of things that have to come together in the right sequence. The first is. You have to be talking to someone that understands your problem. 
because as a client, you may think you need a front end developer to help you with X or Y. But the reality is after talking with, a, with an account executive and a recruiter at Creative Circle, you may really begin to understand that you need an SEO specialist, but that you were asking for the wrong thing. So the first part of it is that 80 plus percent of all the people that we have recruiting or selling come from the digital creative marketing world. So we found really good creative people and taught them how to sell or recruit. We didn't find really good staffing people and teach them the creative world. And by creative, it encompasses the digital marketing, et cetera. Right. So the first thing is really understanding what the client's need is or needs are. That's the first part. And that's not easy. And that's a unique skill set that we spend a lot of time with our employees on and really training them around. Then you have to translate that to the right person. So it's not just a skill set. It's a culture fit. It's the vibe of the person and the company that they're going into. Because whether you're working from home now or whether you are going into an office or gosh willing, we'll be going back into offices one day as appropriate, you have to get the right fit. So it's matchmaking at a very high level. What? Should these creatives who are maybe out of work right now or underemployed, as, as are a lot of people in many different industries, what should they be doing? What in particular are, are you noticing that uh, companies are, are looking for from so, talent right now? Um, certainly not the dumbest question of the morning. So uh... <laughs> it, it, Only Dan's will be dumb. We've made that evidently clear. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So there are a couple of things. Uh, one is go to the Creative Circle website, go to the blog. There are some really phenomenal articles written by our talent, by our candidates about that process. Okay. Um, uh, some are emotional, some are, uh, I won't say heart rending, but certainly take you through the process. So firsthand um, experience as well as, as tips and tricks and stuff like that. That's number one. Number two, uh, LinkedIn is your second greatest tool. Uh, make sure that your profile is up to date. Make sure that you have um, data and information relevant to your skill set. So if you're a creative person, make sure that there's a link to your portfolio so that people can find you on LinkedIn and then link to portfolios. Make sure that your portfolio is designed correctly. Make sure, and from that I mean that it takes the viewer from your best work to your favorite work. Mm-hmm. Um, in building a resume, keep it to one page. I don't care how tenured you are. I don't care how seasoned you are. I don't care if you're playing on the varsity squad or on the JV squad, pick your analogy, one page, that's it. If you can't say what's best about your career in one page, then you have a problem and you need to work on consolidating it to one page, include links to work, include links to portfolios, build what we call an active PDF, which in essence is Build, if you're a creative person, build a portfolio in PowerPoint or Canva, PDF it, and make it linkable so that if there's interest, right, your resume is just the teaser to the movie. It's just your trailer to your career. And then have the backup ready to go. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're a marketing person, right, so if you're sending me your resume, I want to know how you've moved the needle. I know you're not an art director. I know you're not a copywriter. You're an up and coming marketing professional. So how have you created campaigns that have increased engagement, that have moved the needle in some time? 
show me that your work has made a positive impact or if it hasn't made a positive impact that you've learned from it and then turned that corner. Yeah, that's awesome. What's the biggest, it, it sounds to me like you should also make your resume easier, like easy to navigate, right? That you should be easy to hire, uh, not easy to hire, but but it should be easy to to see your work and, and to see your portfolio and to get to, to your portfolio, right? What is the, the biggest thing? If there was one biggest mistake that you see people doing who uh, are looking for a job, what, what do you think that is? Two things in, in two things in sequence. The first is rambling narratives about their work. Let your work speak for itself. I worked for a big company. I worked on this campaign. Here's a link to go see it. I worked for this small company, had a dramatic impact on the engagement of their consumer. Go see a white paper that I drafted on a link to read it. So keep it short. The average recruiter looks at a resume for under 30 seconds. In today's world, with a lot of conversation around unconscious bias, we're actually suggesting very strongly to people that they remove any photos from their resume. That's Let's interesting. Just, Tell me about that. Um, you know, inherent unconscious bias is prevalent. The, the positive impact of the tragedies that have happened um, this year in particular are that more awareness is placed around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So eliminate the opportunity for unconscious bias. It's fine to keep a, an image of yourself on your LinkedIn profile, but take it off of your resume. The, the next thing is typos matter. Whatever you do, have your friend, your mom, your mother-in-law, your roommate, someone who has great grammatical skills, review your resume. Typos matter. Hmm. So keep it short, keep it concise. If you don't have a lot of work experience, but you have volunteer experience, talk about it. As an example, we were recruiting for an intern as part of the marketing program we have at Creative Circle. And one of the candidates came to us, obviously as a college student without a tremendous amount of work experience, but she had talked about how she had used email marketing campaigns to increase engagement in her sororities recruitment processes and i went that's great she understands the concept she gets it she's done something successful and she wound up during her internship with us being a phenomenal asset to our social media teams so i just want to know that you're moving the needle that's cool yeah. i i think to, to talk about something you sort of hinted at before as well i, I think there's often this sort of discrepancy that creatives face. I know I faced it when I tried to be a creative. It was like a pseudo creative, if you will, because I gave up really quickly because I realized I couldn't uh, handle the <laughs> the pressure of my own mind, Bro, basically. Do you, do you even create? Do you even create? <laughs> um, I think something that I see a lot of uh, people that are in that space struggle with is their own capacity to be creative versus marketing themselves, <laughs> right? Like they, they don't have the ability to properly market themselves because they're so used to marketing other things for other people in a creative way. Is that something that you notice as well? And are there any steps to kind of get people more comfortable with becoming the sales voice that they need to really push themselves along like creatives in? Oh, it's, it, it's a phenomenal question. Um, That's right, Dan. See that? <laughs> marketing people have a tremendous tendency 
to be very inefficient at marketing themselves. And I stand at the top of that list. Um, if I had to write a resume today, I would say, well, what do I do? I, I talk on the phone all day, you know, I try to help people solve problems. So what I would suggest, what I would strongly suggest is that if you're having trouble selling yourself, disassociate yourself from yourself. And that sounds really confusing, but it's not. Treat yourself as a product and you mm -hmm. have to market that product. Begin to talk about yourself in third person terms. First and foremost, design the persona for this person that you're selling, which is your career. Merit likes that. I just want to let you know. Look at it and and balance it. Uh, yeah. That's number two. You don't buy anything in your life. You don't listen to anything in your life. You don't watch any kind of shows in your life. And you don't go out when you used to be able to go out to restaurants without a referral, without a reference, without checking it out with someone. As, as, as a species, we're attuned to referrals. Don't walk out of the cave and take a right because that big thing with teeth is going to eat you, right? Mm -hmm. so, so networking and referring yourself and others to you is, is a huge part of the process. And then last but not least, if you're actively looking for a job, you have to understand that it's a job. It's not easy. It is one of, if not the most emotionally debilitating processes you can go through because you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to face rejection all day long. So we've been taught that that kind of rejection is soul crushing. So the first thing that you have to do is make it a game. Mm. And you have to understand that no won't hurt you. It's just a word. So if you wake up every morning and you have a little goldfish bowl or you have a cereal bowl and you have a series of folded over pieces of paper in there that start at five and go to 30. And every morning you sit down and you pick one out and today is 17. Today I'm gonna sit down at 9.30 with focus and with discipline and I'm going to find 17 people to say no to. I mean a no. I don't mean sending out 17 resumes. I mean stalking people on LinkedIn, emailing people, trying to call people. Today, I need 17 people to say no to me, and I'm not going to be satisfied until 17 people say no to me, because what's going to happen is one of them ultimately is going to say yes, and two, the longer you do this, the more competitive you get as a human, and you're like, cool, I'm going to get out there this morning, and I'm going to go find 17. 17 people, 12 people to say no to me. So yeah, that's, you know, that's as a, it's the same with entrepreneurship. We always talk about having to like the process. Same thing. You and I were talking about that this morning, Merritt, about how um, Merritt is great at sales. Me, not so much because the, the no cuts down to the core, right? And you have to like the process. Yeah. You have to, you have to be okay with that. What do you, what do you look for? Like somebody who maybe wants to be found by a, um, by a recruiter, where, where, uh, aside from LinkedIn, where does that person hang out? In, in today's world, you have to find the recruiter. So there's buyer's markets and there's seller's markets with the advent of COVID and the change in the economy. 
it's now a buyer's market. There are more people looking for work than there are opportunities. So, so passive, oh, somebody's going to find me on LinkedIn. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So there's a job that's posted at Acme Corp. And you want that job. So you go to Acme Corp's website and you apply, which is the same thing as saying you're never going to get it or that your odds are substantially low. And by the way, their ATS system or however their application process goes, if you're lucky, you'll get an auto response email saying, hey, we're really busy. We're probably never going to call you and have a nice life. So, okay. So this is a job in the marketing department at Acme Corp. Spend a half an hour on LinkedIn. Spend a half an hour on their website. Who's in the marketing department at Acme Corp? Be an investigative reporter. Figure it out. If you want that job, you have to go get it. Then find that person and try your best to contact them in a pleasant, in a kind, in a professional manner. But don't simply say, gosh, I'm great and I applied for the job and they're going to pick me out of 7,000 other applicants. No, they're not. Yeah, that's really good advice. So have you noticed, because you, you mentioned, you know, networking is an is a integral part of, of this process, and obviously it's become even more digitized than, than ever before because of the advent of COVID. Have you noticed that COVID has ha in that same respect has had an impact on uh, a creative's ability to actually be creative? Like, are you seeing a, a lesson work product from some people? Because I know a lot of times they'll go out and be inspired by not just what's happening in the world, um, but also through these networking events and stuff, they get inspired to to create and, and make um, new and unique, you know, ideas come to life. Are, are you noticing that, you know, there's kind of been a downshift in that in this current environment? Or is it the opposite? And like, hey, in sorrow these, and pain breeds. <laughs> you mean in these trying in times? In these trying times. Yeah. I, I haven't seen direct evidence that creative folks are due to an increase in free time doing cool stuff on the side or, or necessarily with a side hustle. I'm sure that's going on. Mm -hmm. You think that we see the top tier of motivated creative professionals it doesn't equal season. It doesn't equal the varsity squad, but the top tier of motivated job seekers are learning a new skill. Got it. If you weren't really comfortable with InDesign, they're, taking classes at GA or at lynda.com or LinkedIn learning or YouTube, and they're getting proficient at another platform. Mm -hmm. um, we've seen, which has been really interesting is bilingual talent. So people that had oh, that's uh, cool. Spanish in high school, or I, you know, maybe it was a third level minor, minor in college are now becoming proficient in it so that they have a new skill set to offer as a copywriter or a designer or as a creative professional. I like that. What is where do you see the what do you see as the future? Um, kind of the the where is the hiring process going? I know that my my colleagues I talk to um, friends I talk to who run their own production companies and agencies and that sort of thing like it's a constant it's the the, the biggest problem we have it's not bringing money in the door it's finding good talent and bringing good talent and doing that matchmaking like what you were saying with the role where, where do you see the and we also find where I was going with that is we also find that it, it changes right like today we just we just hired somebody 
uh, two people actually, and it's different than it was two years ago, right? How is where do you see the future of hiring and recruiting going? So first of all, Dan, you hired two people, which means you have to give your name, your address, your contact information, and your email, so you following this podcast can get hit by 300 people who want to work for your phenomenal company. But I'll let you do that at the end. <laughs> um, it's it's a really interesting question. I think based on on the limited amount of understanding I have in the staffing space, because I've only been in it seven years, that that one of the really strong benefits of technology is going to be staffing, and not just staffing, but the hiring and recruiting process. There are three or four entities out there that are utilizing artificial intelligence and, more importantly, machine learning to take the huge funnel of applicants and narrow it into triangles, squares, circles, rectangles, amorphous shapes, so that you can get through the application funnel faster. There's one company I really admire out in San Francisco called Maya, M-Y-A, and Maya works with a lot of large scale um, corporations where seven, 8,000 people can apply. And it's a full AI integrated chatbot that will walk the applicant into a position that they may not think was available that, that they were qualified for, which in fact they are, or as importantly, will turn that applicant into some internal learning tools because they're not qualified to work at that company. But in both cases, the candidate application experience is, is positive. So you're, you're bound by the application process with human capital. 10 recruiters, 10 people a day, it's 100, 500, 600 people in a given period of time that you can work through the funnel. AI can do 1,000 in an hour. It can do 2,000 in an hour. So I think the first thing you're going to see is the personalization and the right kind of adaptation of AI ML. It's really ML, but people like to think it's, it's artificial intelligence. That's the first thing. The second thing is that remote works. Overnight in the world, remote works. There's no more conversation about I have to, I have, to have people in the office. Yes, there are always going to be skill sets in financial services and healthcare in some realms of the production uh, universe. You have to be together. But other than that, remote works. So you're no longer bound by the physical constraints of how far you're willing to commute for a job. Yep. That's yeah. a very good point. Yeah. So in I that, think that, you go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, we've been forced to learn that. Um, I think with COVID, I think that that's the, the one of the biggest things that came out of COVID, not just in the creative space, is that we've been forced to understand and accept the fact that um, distanced working is is a thing now, right? It, I, I'm interested to see if it if it stays that way. I really am. Um, I feel like it might, but we'll see. It's you look at it from the viewpoint of a production environment, which is what Adam was referring to, where you know mm -hmm. you do kind of have to band together, especially to have some of that creative input that happens beforehand, but it, you can accomplish still so much more than you ever thought possible via whether it's Zoom or, or whatever kind of application you're using, uh, video conferencing or telephonic, right? Yeah. It, it all works out. So, um, Adam, an, another question I have for you is, um, let's say we, we live hypothetically in an ideal um, recruiting world where 
all clients are check are are all potential recruits are checking all the boxes in terms of the pre activities they should be doing to to sort of stand out right they're they're doing the personalized LinkedIn research they're reaching out in a in a maybe a, a unique way um, they're personalizing they're not overstepping you know they're condensing as well uh, let's say that we just have a plethora of candidates doing that because I, I assume people are smartening up right now while while they're looking for work and and maybe we're getting more and more into an environment where, where that's actually reality. Um, what are some other potential things that people could do to, to sort of stand out? You know, I, I think a big part of this too is like circumnavigating sort of those, I don't know what you refer to them as in your industry, but recruitment bots, right? Like you mentioned the ATS systems, like all, all that kind of stuff um, to, to kind of circumnavigate those and not just get in contact with someone, but get in contact with them in a, in a unique way. Like, do you have any personal stories of, of people that have reached out to you or reached out to creative circle in in a way that really, you know, made them stand out. And that was exactly why you ended up working with them. Absolutely. I'll go, I'll go back in time to the dark ages pre-internet. <laughs> okay. Uh, I was the creative director and, and ran a chunk of marketing for LA gear. What was then an up and coming footwear company. And uh, I got a letter from a woman who said that she had made a horrible mistake in her life and she had gone to law school at the University of Michigan, not to denounce the University of Michigan, but that she had gone to law school, passed to the bar and hated being a lawyer and wanted to be a designer and that I should really, really interview her. And it was a really well-written letter and then attached to it was page one of the Michigan tax code. And she said, there are 1,149 more pages. I'm just warning you. And the next day I got page <laughs> and the next day I got page three and I let her go till page seven. And I called her up and said, okay, you went, this is brilliant. I have to talk to you. And she became honestly one of our best designers. Wow. And I had to read a contract from time to time to help me out. But so, so that's old school. Mm -hmm. New school is someone who has taken the time to look through my background, which is all public information. And maybe they came through, the production world, which I was in, or maybe they go through USC, of which I'm an alumnus, or maybe they know two or three people that I know, and, or, you know, they bring me stories about wanting to take my head off for having put TV sets on gas pumps. I mean, there's a variety <laughs> of ways that people triangulate into me, but the more personality, sense of humor, um, proof that they've done the research um, is a great way to get in my door. And then, and then the second one, which I'll reference again is referral. Yep. Um, I will take the time when I have it for informational interviews. And if I find you interesting in an informational interview, I will refer you to someone else who again will refer you to someone else, so, someone else. So, so informational interviewing is the second best ploy to really using your intelligence to stalk someone. Mm-hmm. So we've we've gotten through the 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 kind of ins and outs, if you will, of of how to stand out in in a creative capacity uh, when when looking to find work. What happens in the interview itself? What are some of the things you notice um, in that process where you see either shortcomings or or places where people can actually excel at, as creatives within that interview process? First thing when you're going into an interview now, particularly in the remote world, is you have to be comfortable with the technology. So if you get an invitation to interview on Zoom or BlueJeans or Teams or FaceTime, whatever the visual medium is, 
get your friend to download it and practice talking to each other on it. First and foremost, the worst thing that can happen is to have a technology hiccup because your interviewer has a very tight schedule and every minute you waste with technology is taking away from your time to make an impression. So that's the first thing. The second thing is to come prepared, research the company, know about the company, have questions written for yourself. Now, what I do, because I'm not that smart and I'm older than most dirt that it's you not true. <laughs> is I actually use these things called post-it notes. You may be familiar with <laughs> paper you may actually be familiar with paper. like cassette tapes <laughs> yes we want to become old school dude and i actually write my questions down and i put them right under the camera on my laptop so hmm. if you are and i'm hosting a webinar or an interview a i maintain eye contact and b i don't lose sight of them so mm-hmm. Be familiar with the technology, research the company that's interviewing you so you're versed on them and you're clear about what you don't know. So you have questions in your back pocket. Prepare, wash your face, shave your mustache, comb your hair, put on a shirt with a collar. You don't have to put anything on. You can still wear shorts, but look like you want and you're professional. Hmm. Um, Then maintain eye contact and the usual things that you would do in an interview. You have to learn to be comfortable with the pause because if you're not like, um, like, um, what was I, um, gonna, how do I, um, I answer the question versus simply saying, it's a very good question. I think the answer is right. Practice pausing to collect your thoughts so that you don't fill the gap with fillers that make you or allow you to be perceived as less committed to the job than you are. You hear that, Dan? Fillers, stop it. So I'm actually really bad. My wife points this out a lot. I'm still afraid of my father-in-law. He's a great guy. It's just that he's okay with pauses, and I'm not. And um, I I get very awkward, very uncomfortable when there's a pause, when there's any sort of like a, a break in a conversation, and I feel like I have to fill, fill that. I feel almost like sort of like a, a news person like it i'm gonna explode if there's a moment of silence or something like that i don't think you're gonna explode so yeah. it's, it's fine is adam frozen right now uh-oh <laughs> he's gone technology and we, he's we gone. just talked about the technology hold on let's pop back on just as you were in the middle of uh how important it is to familiarize yourself with technology our entire internet shuts down <laughs> the perfect thing to it, it's out throughout the whole building perfect thing to have happen during a uh, a zoom a zoom call yeah we're we're super excited you know black blackouts 2020 why not so there's one thing you know did you finish all your thoughts in terms of like uh preparedness for an interview and like being in the interview itself i think we had kind of okay so the other thing i wanted your input on and it's it's kind of like a, a catch-all that i hear thrown around all the time these days it's personal branding right and i think there's people that feel very strongly about this on on both sides especially as it relates to to linkedin and your marketability um what where do you stand on on this whole kind of concept of personal branding versus you know just actually being yourself and and having a linkedin profile like taking it a step further um and and do you see a, a a strong benefit to it 
the question around personal branding is, a, I think, is a great one. If you think of yourself as a hiring manager or someone who's looking for help, and you have the opportunity to choose between two creative individuals, and one of them has a very strong brand that makes it very clear sort of what they stand for and what their presence is and and how great they think they are and how qualified they think they are. And you have another candidate or another applicant who has a very, very strong, probably an equally strong skill set and has, has a bit of a chameleon quality to them in that they have done high quality work, in your opinion, for clients in similar spaces to yours, which one are you going to have a conscious or an unconscious bias towards? And that's the question you have to ask yourself. Is building a personal brand creating an opportunity for unconscious bias about you that could inadvertently impact the hiring manager? It's a very and it's really a question you have to ask of yourself. I don't I don't yeah. have the answer to it, but that's what I always sort of That's ask an awesome way to look to look at it. I've never heard I've never heard it kind of uh, described and broken down in that way. That's that's really insightful. I appreciate that. I know I took us off off topic there for a second, but I, I had to address that. And then I, I've got one more question for you before we we let you slide. And again, thanks so much for your for your time today. Um We've talked a lot about people looking for jobs, you know, uh, and kind of what that entails in, in a creative capacity and, and sort of how to work that process, if you will. I'm interested now in hearing your thoughts on maybe people who are in, in the creative space, once again, who are underemployed or feeling like they're, they're ready to make the next step in their career and they don't know um, they don't know how. Do you have any advice for those people, you know, having been throughout the various roles that you've occupied during your career and now being CMO, let's say you have a, a marketing manager who wants to become director of marketing or a director of VP who wants to become CMO, you know, what, what exactly does it take? And I'm sure there's no great answer for this, but that's exactly why I asked it. If there's one guy who can give me something useful, it's you. Uh, very, very kind of you to uh, make that bold assumption. <laughs> that's all I do. I think, I really think career advancement or how you move through life. Um, I've picked adventures because, again, I like people, and I, if I like the people I work with. But on a more practical basis, understand how you process information. So if you're a graphic designer or you're very, very good with with pictures, as I said, you speak in pictures, which is what led me into the production world and a lot of the early work I did in my career. I didn't understand numbers very well, and I certainly didn't understand words as well, but I understood pictures. So learn a second language. If, if art direction and design is really something that that is integral to your core, but you've, you've either hit the edge of the runway or a brick wall and you can't seem to advance it, Learn a second language, and I would say without hesitation in today's world, the language of analytics, which is not numbers. You don't have to understand algebra. You don't have to understand calculus, mm -hmm. but the, the, the language of analytics, how you prove that certain things, communication channels are working. If there is a segment of the creative digital marketing universe that's expanding exponentially it's the realm of analytics so 
if you've if you've hit the roadblock or you're unhappy with your career, learn a second language. Is that language copywriting? Is that language coding? Is that language understanding analytics? But actively think about how your brain processes information. You've taken the easiest path. Now find the next easiest path and take this time that you have to learn a second language. That's awesome. Awesome advice. Really appreciate everything, Adam. Um, Can't thank you enough for your time. So... The part of the hiring process everybody hates is negotiating a salary, and you know that's going to come up. When I'm you're... so happy we're talking about this because I feel like it's really taboo for a lot of people, too. <laughs> it is taboo, but a lot of people don't like talking about money. But here's the thing. You, you get a lot of really bad advice. I can always tell when I talk about salary, and I always ask people, I say, where do you need to be in terms of salary? And, I, and then I decide, are they worth that to me, right, mm-hmm. essentially? Because I want you to get paid what you think you're worth. You just have to provide that value. So the number one thing, you know, we talk about the dad advice. I can always tell when somebody's gotten bad advice from their dad. I think the number one thing, and I've got three tips here, but the number one and the biggest thing that people do wrong is they tell me what they need rather than what they're worth, right? When somebody, the the natural reaction, when somebody says, what's the salary you need? Like you say a number, right? You say like, oh, a hundred thousand a year because I've got two kids and then we just bought a house and, and we have a car and I've got a mortgage. And those things, what you're doing there is you're, you're selling yourself based on your needs, not, what your value generally what what you're doing when you're telling me what you need what you're doing is you're saying i've made some bad decisions in my life not that these decisions are bad but i it sounds like your decisions it sounds like yeah you're justifying your decisions it sounds like you i know i'm not worth that but i need it right and i need you to give it to me so my financial decisions are now your financial financial problems right? right which is not true so let me give you an example of the perfect way to to justify your salary, to ask for salary. So typically it's, um, I really feel like I'm worth $100,000 because I'm bringing a ton of experience that you need. At my last job, I created their entire job organizational structure, and it sounds like you need that. As CEO, you shouldn't have to deal with that kind of thing, you know, the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I think you're undercharging for some of your services. When I start, I want to do a complete audit of your structure and processes. Ooh. Isn't, isn't that like... Isn't that better than I've got a mortgage and a car payment well, va- and I really need a hundred k? It's it's value add, yeah, right, yeah, uh, and you can see where the the value will come in immediately. Now, the execution of that determines whether it's valid and they get to stay around. But at yeah. least they're setting the stage the right way, right? And that's yeah. the exact same thing that I would tell someone yeah. who is looking for a job yeah. right now and, and in that salary negotiation. Because phase. what you get paid, the amount of money you get paid is directly related to the amount of value you provide. So I think a lot of the the advice that you see, and, and I haven't looked into any of this with any recency, so it could be way off, but mm-hmm. I remember when I was first job hunting out of college, and I still owned a, a music production company at that point, so I was sort of looking for something that was probably not like full-time, but I was looking at sort of what the advice out there was on in terms of like how to negotiate salary even Mm -hmm. at a part-time level and a lot of it was like don't say your number first you let them say a number right and i feel like that's completely blown by the wayside now like it's it's off 
It's really bad advice. And actually, Inc. wrote a wrote an article on that about how don't it. That's my number two. Actually, don't not answer. Yeah. Right? Because when, or like pose the throw the question back. Right. Yeah. What do you think? Like, remember we talked about being hard to hire. Yeah. The the interview process is exhausting for both of us, and I understand that it's exhausting for you. It's a, and you have to understand it's exhausting for me. And when you don't give me a number, understand that somebody else will, and they're going to be easier to hire right when all things are equal it goes down to how difficult is it to hire you versus you Mm -hmm. know this other person so So. i think that's confidence in knowing your number too right yeah like you have to know what you're worth and you know maybe have a hard conversation with yourself where hey i'm not actually worth what i need but i know that if i work really hard this year if if you know dan or whoever is hiring will take a chance on me yeah then i can get what i'm worth next year and maybe that's the conversation you have you you say look i'm willing to do this at this rate because I think that's the value I can bring, unfortunately, yeah. at this time, and it's not where I really want to be. Yeah. But by next year, I'm hoping to be here because I'm going to do this. That's really good advice because this, this. because if you go in making a little bit less than what you want to make, you make yourself like uh, unreplaceable, then you can ask for literally anything you want, right, based on value. Not mm-hmm. what you need, but based on like, hey, I'm worth this. And we have that conversation. I have that conversation all the time with people. Um, and then the final one, and in this, uh, again, this is something I see a lot, a lot of people do, and that's they bullshit the amount of money they're making at their either their current job or their previous position, right? Because it's so out of line with, like, industry yeah. specs or something. And I get what you're trying to do, right? You're trying to have a starting point for negotiation. Like, if you want to make 100K, you come in saying – well, I was a junior copywriter at, you know, whatever, and I was making $155,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking that I'm going to come back and say, oh, we can't afford that. How about hundred k right? The industry talks. And I have a really good idea, generally speaking, what you're worth in this market and yep. what you are making, right? When you come in, it's insulting to me. When you tell me that when a copywriter in this in this area anyway makes 45 50k a year and you're telling me you made uh, you know a hundred thousand more than that because you want more it's sort of like uh, that's insulting number one number two I think that I feel bad for there's you. got a, there's only a certain exception to that which is I, I guess if someone would come with a portfolio that actually showed that they were worth that right there yeah. probably are certain people making way outside of what the band the salary band would be yeah but it's so few and far in between and yeah, they're not likely to be applying those type of people probably are getting headhunted and not likely yeah. to be applying well for- here's the other thing like you don't need that you don't even need to say what you were making at your previous position it's irrelevant yeah right i think that there are too many people who look on Glassdoor. we get that a lot like people bring and up i think Glass- that's well, i think those are wrong too i think people they inflate wrong, their salaries yeah. on there all the time well, or deflate them sometimes or too. yeah they're just all over the place like and you have people all the time who are like well glass store so i googled it and i did research right again you don't want to say that because it makes you just you're kind of floundering right it comes from a place of desperation instead of confidence it's totally fine to to pick a number and to sell yourself based on that number i've had people who tell me this is the amount i want and the reason is that i know i'm worth it and i know that i'm going to bring you that amount of value i will pay somebody twice the market value of their position if they bring our company that amount of value. Mm-hmm. And it's really that simple. That's all there is to it. Do you think it's hard to, you know, for me, uh, as someone in business development and even certain um, positions in the marketing category mm-hmm. have this same thing where 
we can supply data that shows why we're worth a certain value, right? We can say, oh, look, we've done this. We're going to do this for you. Here's our plan. Yeah. Is it harder for a creative where we talked about in, in sort of the intro where everything is a little bit more subjective to then define it their is. value? Yeah. Right. It, it really is. Like if you if you can light a, a, a talking head really nicely, that's not obviously not as valuable as somebody who can, uh, you know, light an entire set and, you know, be super efficient, knows exactly what they're doing, knows the the ins and outs with the tricks and, you know, has 15 years of experience in L.A., you know, on, mm -hmm. on movie sets or something, you know, and, and it's just a fact of life. And it's really marketability. It's it's how much can I charge for your services, right, for the yeah. product that you're producing for our clients. Cool. So, that and that's sense. value. That's, you know, that's, that's, that's where the value so is. So how does someone then, l let's just stay within the realm of, of Hackstone and mm -hmm. us. Yeah. How does someone communicate that to you in a creative way, right? That, that value yeah. that they bring for, for a creative role, right? Because, I, I, yeah. again, I completely understand from, like, my perspective of a business development guy or yeah. some other sort of ancillary role like that. But Yeah. So for creatives, obviously, there's the work. You know, if, if, you, if somebody doesn't like your work, they just don't like your work. You know, I mean, it is what it is. The other thing is laying it out in a really easy-to-see way, right? To, to show me that you're organized, you have your stuff together, you're confident about your work, but you don't have ego, right? Yeah. Then the other things you can sell yourself on are, hey, I'm a really fast editor, I'm eager to learn, um, and and take me through some things like some successes and some failures you had, right? And, yeah. and to accept those failures, to say like, hey, the video that you liked, the first three cuts, the client absolutely hated, right? And that made it really fun to go back and try to please that client. Yep. So it's a good point because that's what we I do always, because we accept the yeah. fact that hey, the first cut we we give you, you might hate because it is all subjective, you know? Yeah. I kind of thought that it would be a little more nuanced in terms of what you were looking for just because I think for some of these projects that people show on demo reels specifically, we're just talking about video now, obviously. So yeah, right. If you're not in video, you can <laughs> cut off here. Um, <laughs> there's so many people involved in these. So to, to just say someone played this part in this and here's how it impacted yeah. the entirety of the piece where really they could have been carried by a really great director of production out. or something, yeah. right? That happens a lot and you can pull that out, right? It's when somebody's got an entire website of samples and, and a lot of agencies and production companies do that as well where they're like, they did the editing, but they claim the whole piece and you just assume they, they uh, concepted it, that they scripted it, that they filmed it, that they, you know, all those things when they didn't. So, but it, generally like when it's one person we we ask the question like what was your role on this and you yeah. can t you when they're bsing you can usually tell because it just there's a one really really good flagship piece that just doesn't fit in with the rest you know if this if this person obviously can't tell a story in 90 percent of their work and all of a sudden there's one piece <laughs> that they did it's like okay you had help yep. or you you know you just push the buttons so. awesome which well, is okay too but there's a role for that you know yeah I think that's all great advice. Uh, I, I loved what we heard from Adam, and it's been another good one. So awesome. thanks so much for listening, guys. If or, Again, don't forget to submit any questions for future episodes. What's the email address, Dan? <laughs> bigmarketing at hackstone.com. Is that what it is? Bigmarketing yeah. at hackstone.com. Bigmarketing, B-I-G, marketing at hackstone.com. I'm Dan Hack. And I'm Merritt Trigg. Bye!